Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. If you're close enough, you can say hello. That's good. How are we all doing? We all right? You're not all right. We need some more laying on of hands and intensive prayer, right? How are we doing? We all right? Better. We're slightly better. We're doing better, David. So it's, by the end of this, we'll be great. Fantastic. Hey, uh, it's lovely to be with you. It's lovely to see you. Uh, we are in week number two of our new series, which is called, does anyone know? It's a group thing. Okay, commissioned. I mean, it's uh, the banner series for the year, right? We are in week number two of our series. It's a group thing. Yeah, okay. All right, well, we're going to, yeah. You'll be excited by the end, I promise. If nothing else, excited that I'm done, right? No, that's not true. It's not true. Uh, but we've been in this series, and really we've been looking at the idea that, that following Jesus is something that we do for ourselves, right? That no one else can follow Jesus for you, that no one can have a relationship with God on your behalf. That following Jesus is something that we do for ourselves, but it's not something that we do on our own. That Jesus is not a thing that we are called to do, a person who we are called to follow. It's probably a better way to describe him. He's not a thing, right? Uh, he's not a person that we're called to follow on our own. But, but that in fact, following Jesus, our life of faith is something that we are meant to, called to do in community. And, and so today, really what I wanna do is I wanna look at that, that phrase, right? We follow Jesus for ourselves, but not on our own. Or as Penny said it last week, which was after I'd already put it together, but a much better way of saying it, we follow Jesus for ourselves, but not by ourselves. It's much more succinct, right? But I've, it, the other one's stuck in my head for forever, so apologies for that. Right, we follow Jesus for ourselves, but, but not on our own. And, and so, but what, is that, what does that mean? It's a nice, it's a pretty, you know, we all come across those pretty phrases, right? You're like, say pretty phrases, and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I don't, I don't know. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Right, what is it? What really, what I want to do today is I want to look at two questions. I want to look at what is it to follow Jesus? And, and, and I want to look at what does following Jesus have to do with community? Is it all right? Two questions. What is it to follow Jesus? And what does following Jesus have to do with community? If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. It's a passage that you might be familiar with. It says this, and as he... This is Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I mean, we kind of got that from the net into the sea, right? But, you know, there we go. It's expounding, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, who were also, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the time that we have together today. God, we thank you that, that as we turn to you, you are a God who, who is not hard to find. God, that you would presence yourself among us, that you would come to us, that you love us. And God, today we, we don't wanna simply come and fill a seat, write down some ideas, laugh at some jokes, nod away and not encounter you. God, we wanna meet with you, to be transformed by you, to be remade more and more into who you would have us to be. 
And so God, I pray today that, that whatever is brought would not be my words or my ideas. Where it is, it would fall to the ground, but where it is of you, would it land in our hearts? Would it edify? Would it encourage? Would it draw us more into what you have for us? Would your name be glorified today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I would suggest when we're talking about following Jesus, an important and maybe obvious place to start, but an important one nonetheless, is to talk about Jesus, right? Like if we're following after Jesus, we probably need to, to outline a little bit of, of who Jesus is and was. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Like following Jesus, we're gonna talk, who would have known would come on Sunday and we were gonna talk about Jesus? I didn't think that was on the cards today, but there you go, full of surprises. Jesus was, was a lot of things, right? Jesus was a carpenter, Jesus was a friend, Jesus was a son, Jesus was God in the flesh. But, but to most of the world that he encountered in his day-to-day -day ministry, he was a rabbi. Now, a rabbi is, is simply a Hebrew word meaning teacher. And, and rabbis were teachers of the Torah, that's the, the Jewish scriptures, and they'd travel town to town and they'd teach their interpretation, their, their understanding and their outworking, their way of reading the, the Torah, their set of teachings, which was called their, their midrash. It was known colloquially as, the, as their yoke, right? Their way of understanding and living out the scripture. And, and, and the way that Hebrew society worked, being a rabbi was like the best of the best of the best. Every mother dreamed of their, their son, not daughter, because that was the type of society we lived in. Apologies for that. Their son becoming a rabbi, right? It was the, it was the dream. It wasn't become this or that. It was, oh, you know, you'd be at the family potluck and, and it was Aunt Sarah down the way who her son became a rabbi. She was the one who was sitting pretty, right? She was, oh, well, have I told you about Jonathan? I'm just using that name totally by chance, you know. <laughs> Mothers could be proud of any other sons with any other names, but for this example, it's Jonathan. He's a rabbi. Oh, Jonathan's a rabbi. Wow, Jonathan must be amazing. Jonathan sounds really special. Want to hear more about how great Jonathan is? No, no, we're going to keep on reading the Bible, right? Uh, it was the best of the best. And so that's what the, 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 the place in society that you dreamed of. But it, not everyone got to do it. It was hard to do. And in fact, Jewish uh, education was split into three levels. The first level was called Beit Sefer, which means house of the book. And this was like primary school. Everyone basically went here and you'd learn basic geography and, and history and math and literacy. And it was all taught using the Torah. In fact, a large part of this kind of education was reading the Torah aloud to try and, and memorize it. The aim being that by the age of 12, you would know Genesis to, to Deuteronomy by heart, which is impressive. And, and then for most students, you'd go about the rest of your life, you'd, you'd join the family business, and, and, and that would be it. You'd go on and you'd have a family of your own, and your kids would go and attend Beit Sefer, and it would continue. But for the best of the best of, of Beit Sefer, they were invited to a second level of education called Beit Talmud, which, which means the, the house of learning. And this was a smaller school built on the side of the synagogue, and here you would memorize the rest of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, which, again, is a feat in itself. Genesis to Deuteronomy, I would be like showing off every day. You would never hear the end of it. But if I knew all of the Tanakh, that would be even more. And again, almost everyone here was, was done. But the best of the best of the best would be asked by their rabbi who had been teaching them to sit and interview. And in this interview, they would be tested on their knowledge of the Tanakh, of the Jewish scriptures, and on the, the midrash or interpretations of the rabbi, of the Tanakh. And after all this, if the rabbi thought that they, they were talented enough, were, were driven enough, had, had something of that spark in them to one day be a rabbi themselves, they would invite them to follow me. 
and become their Talmudim or, or their disciples. And you would think at that point you would breathe a sigh of relief, right? Like, finally, I've made it. I'm a Talmudim. I'm a disciple. One day I'll be a rabbi on my own. Now I can just, you know, it's the easy life for me. Everyone's going to be like, wow, you are, you're a Talmudim. That's incredible. But no, 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 no. Right? It's, it's like the education system. You kind of get through high school. You're like, ah, sigh of relief. And then maybe you go to university. And you're like, it got harder. I don't know how it could get harder. And then you finish undergrad. And if you just, something is wrong in your brain with you. You're just pathologically wired. You decide to do postgraduate study. And, and, and you are punished for it, uh, maybe deservingly, right? And it just gets harder and harder and harder. And then you finish postgraduate and you're like, now I get to be a professional academic and it's harder again. It's just, it's a fun life, right? See, a Talmudim's life was following their rabbi quite literally. Oh, a, a blessing of the time, a Jewish blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, may you follow your rabbi so closely that, that the dust that they kick up as they walk would cover you, that you were that, that close to, that just involved in following this person. Which is a different sort of a blessing to the ones that we use today, right? Like, eat my dust doesn't quite have the same connotation. Ollie's learning some, some playground trash talk. So we have uh, competitions. At the moment, I beat him all the time because he's got a broken arm. But uh, that can only last so long. So I'm, I'm enjoying it while I can. But he'd be like, eat my dust, Dad, and, and run away. I'm like, where do you pick up this, this filthy language, son? I don't know, right? But it wasn't eat my dust. It was may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you follow your rabbi. Because the, the life of a Talmudim, a disciple, can really be summed up as the pursuit of three goals. We'll put it on the screen behind me. It's to be with your rabbi, right, all day, every day. Where they went, you went. What, what they ate, you ate. Where they slept, you slept. To be with your rabbi so that in being with your rabbi, you might become more like your rabbi. That you might learn something of, of what they knew. That you might understand their interpretation of the scripture so that you could carry on their work. Disciples would not only learn their rabbi's teachings, but they would pick up their mannerisms, their, their tone of voice. Anything that they could glean from them, they would become a copy of this person to continue from where they had left off. Because the third and final goal was to do what your rabbi did. Right? Finally, if a rabbi thought that you were ready, if you had learned enough, if you had picked up all you could from them, they would say, you're now a rabbi in your own right, and so go and make disciples. Do what I do. Teach others. Make disciples. Jono, what does this have to do with it's a group thing? What does this have to do with community, right? Well, what is it to follow Jesus? To understand that, we need to understand that first and foremost, Jesus was in the time of his ministry on earth a rabbi, a highly honored, very exclusive role in Jewish society. But did you notice what happened in the passage we read in Mark 1? Right, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon, and he sees Andrew, and he says, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, is that like a, a fun play of words? Like, I, I see that you're currently fishing for fish. Come follow me, and we will fish for people. In which case, unless something is kind of lost in the Hebrew, that sounds weird. That sounds like, hey, would you like to join me in my serial killer business, right? Like, let's do something weird. It, it doesn't, you know, if someone came up to me and said that, I wouldn't be like, hmm, sounds interesting. Tell me more about it. I'd be like, no, thank you. It's one of those people that you kind of, you know, the people that on the street and they're trying to sell you something and you just don't make eye contact and you keep on walking. It would feel like that sort of moment. Like, don't look up. It's Jesus coming. He's going to ask us to fish for men again. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Bro, but it's not that. It's not that he's making some sort of kind of bad dad joke of, of a play on words. Instead, fisher of men is a Hebrew phrase, a Hebrew idiom, a, a Hebrew kind of saying for, for a teacher of, of great talent, of great influence, of great significance. 
Because a fisher of men, a teacher who is renowned, would capture people's hearts and minds. You would be hooked. You see what they see? Oh man, they were, they were doing some puns even back in ancient days, right? You'd be engaged in what they were saying. You're like, oh man, I can't, I'm just hanging on every word that this teacher has to say. So when Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he's not making some weird joke about you used to fish for fish and now we're going to fish for people. He's saying, come and follow me and you will become a rabbi of influence. You will become a significant person. And, and these are people remembering the, the situation that they're in. Why are they fishing? Well, presumably they went to, to Beit Sefer. They went to Beit Talmud, right? Maybe just Beit Sefer, probably. But they didn't make it, right? No one asked them to continue their education. No one asked them. No rabbi sat down and gave them an interview and said, hey, come and follow me and you will become a rabbi. They are fishing in the family business because they did not qualify to become rabbis. That's the situation that they're in. That's where we find ourselves. They didn't graduate top of Beit Sefer. They didn't graduate top of Beit Talmud. They were passed over by the other rabbis. No one asked them to become a disciple. And here Jesus is, a, a rabbi doesn't just walk up to random people and invite them. Right? You become a disciple by fighting for it, by competing for it, by, by training for it. You earn your way into the position of a disciple. But Jesus, he turns the whole system upside down. He invites them, the leftovers, those who were, who were rejected, and he says, come and follow me. We see it again in, in Mark 2. He just keeps on doing it. Verses 13 to 14, it says, Then he, Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitudes came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, it's one thing to call it a, a fisherman, right? Soul of the earth sort of people. Literally quite salty people. That was funny. Just letting you know. You'll get it next time. You'll listen back. But that was funny. Right, to call fishermen. That's one thing. Sure, they didn't make it, but they're not bad people. But a tax collector. A tax collector, if a rabbi was the most honored position in society, a tax collector was the exact opposite, right? Tax collectors were Jewish people who knew the Jewish community well enough to tax them on behalf of the Roman Empire, right? They didn't have the IRD. We're not passing judgment on the IRD. I just want to be very clear if there are any IRD officials watching this at any later date. We love the IRD. We're for the IRD. Let us keep our tax deductions status. Charities for life. Woohoo! Right? But you didn't have some sort of track of, oh, well, this guy down the road earned this much from his fishing business, and, this, and so this is the right amount to pay tax. They didn't have that sort of record-keeping accounting sort of a system. And so the only way to do it was to have someone in the community who knew what was going on go around and extract the taxes from his fellow people. This wasn't some random dude brought in from nowhere. He was a part of the community and he lived his life. He made his living and often a very good living because he would take his own bit off the top by betraying his community. If a rabbi was a position of honor that everyone wanted to be, a tax collector was the position of least honor that everyone dreaded anyone that they knew would become. And Jesus walks up to Levi, the tax collector, and he says, hey, you, come and follow me. He walks up to the people who should not be asked, the ones who were even the furthest from being in the position of earning it, and he asks them to follow him. And I say this because for us here and now, 2,000 years later, Jesus says the same thing. Not because we earned it, because, but because like Levi and like Simon and like Andrew and like James and like John, we cannot earn it. Because the question is never who are we? The question is who is Jesus? Who are we 
following? Are we following Jesus? To which you might be like, well, John, I like, come on. I'm here, aren't I? Like, I'm in the room. I made it. Did you see the weather today? It was very wet. Right, I could just be at home streaming, but I mean, no, no offense if you are at home streaming, right? We still love you and you're welcome now, uh, community. Thanks. Right, I could have just stayed at home. Again, we love you if you're at home. It's, it's all good, right? But, but I'm here. Like, what do you mean, who am I following? Is it not obvious? I'm following after Jesus. But, and I get that, and I'm not trying to guilt anyone or anything like that, but I do want to remind us that there is a difference between believing and following. The New Testament actually illustrates this really, really well. Throughout the New Testament, you have two groups of people who are around Jesus. We have the disciples, if we go to the next slide, and we have the crowd. The disciples and the crowd. See, Jesus invited everyone. It's one of the most amazing things about him, like we just discussed. But, but lots of people followed him, but not everyone who followed Jesus was a disciple. Jesus had the disciples and, and the crowd. Now, the disciples are not just the, the 12 apostles, although they are disciples. They're kind of a, a subgroup of the disciples. The disciples are a broader group. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72, which is a symbolic, nature reflect, uh, symbolic number reflecting all nations. Right? There's a bunch of people following him who he considers to be a broader group of disciples, male and female, which is revolutionary at this time in history. No other rabbi has female disciples, but we know that Jesus does. We read it in Scripture. And throughout the Gospels, especially in Mark, there's this sharp difference drawn between the crowds and the disciples. And the reason that the difference is drawn is it's meant to be a literary device, a, a way of asking the reader, a way of asking the audience, which one do you want to be? There's the disciples and there's the crowd. And you can be one or the other, but you cannot be both. Which will you be? So, so what's the difference between a disciple and, and one of the crowd? Well, well, I would say it this way. The disciples followed Jesus. The crowds believed in Jesus. I don't, what's, what's the difference between those two things, right? Well, I think most people, if you met someone on the street and said, what does being a Christian mean? They'd, they'd say something like, oh, it means believing in God or, or believing in Jesus or, or, or going to church, but, but it has to be more than that, right? If we really believe something and, and we don't live it out, do we really believe it, right? Maybe a better word than belief is, is trust. That we're not just the people who believe in Jesus. We're not just like, oh yeah, there's a Jesus somewhere out there doing something, that's cool. But we trust in him. The, the analogy that I come back to again and again is that of a seatbelt, right? You, you, you can know that a seatbelt will protect you in a car crash. That's a belief, there is a seatbelt. I know that it is a good thing to wear in a car to keep me safe. I believe that it is helpful. But when you get into a car and you reach up and you take that seatbelt and you cross it and you, as Ronald McDonald used to say, you make it click, right? Your belief has gone to something more. You still believe in the seatbelt. You're not like, oh, the seatbelt no longer exists now that I've clicked it in. It's Schrodinger's seatbelt. If the seatbelt is clicked, is it truly a seatbelt, right? That's not what's happening here. But you've gone from believing in it to trusting in it. Now, rather than just a knowledge, oh, I believe that the seatbelt could help me if I wear it in my car and something bad was to happen, it is now a lived out belief. It is a, an embodied belief. It is a trust. See, trust is lived out. See, the point here is that the crowds believe, but the disciples trust. 
It's not that the disciples didn't believe, but it's that they lived out their belief. It was more than just an idea. See, what is it to actually follow Jesus? If, if a group thing is the fact that we follow Jesus for ourselves, but we do not follow Jesus on our own, what is it to follow Jesus? Well, to follow Jesus means to be a disciple, to live a life trusting Jesus, to, to really drive this point home as far as I can, and then I promise I'll, I'll stop. But, but we can believe in Jesus and not be following him. We know this because it says in James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the demons believe I don't know about you, but my goal is not to be on the same level as a demon, right? That's not like, hey, Jono, what is your spiritual development goals for 2023? I just really want to hit demon level. That's what I'm going for, right? It's not, if that's on your list, get a better list, right? We're not aiming for demon. That's a very low bar. But even the demons believe, and so it must be something more than just believing, Right, we're not aiming for demon. I just want to be really clear. What is it to follow Jesus? I would suggest that following Jesus looks like being a disciple of Jesus. It's more than a set of beliefs. It's a lived out trust. Maybe we could say it looks a little bit like this if we go to the next slide. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. What do I mean? Like, well, well, first of all, being with Jesus. I think our first and most important goal is always to be with Jesus. The best thing about following Jesus, as John Mark Homer would say, is Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to be with Jesus? Like, does that mean that I need to have a, an ear pod in at, at all times, just constantly pr- like playing worship music? Just holy, I'm set apart, I'm with you, Jesus, at all times? Do, do I need to set a timer every hour to read a chapter of the Bible? Do I need to seclude myself and go off to a monastery and just spend time with? How, how do I be with? None of those things are bad things, by the way. But how do I be with Jesus? I want to say that it's a big question. There are books written by incredible thinkers on it. But if I was to sell it down to its essence, I'd say that to be with Jesus, we be with Jesus by living in connection to an awareness of God through the Holy Spirit. And so my question is, in 2023, as we follow Jesus, how can we make time to be with him? So that we carry a connection to him in our lives throughout our day, throughout our week, to take a moment to, to slow down, to, to stop, to unhurry as we talked about last year, to breathe in and to breathe out and to realize, God, you're here. God, you've actually, you've always been here. But God, I choose to presence myself now. God, I choose to slow down. I've been distracted and busy and hectic and caught up in a billion things that aren't you, but I don't want them. I want you. God, those are all good things. I want to let those things be good. You bring those things to life. You bring perspective. You are meaning. But if nothing else, I simply want you. Be with Jesus. And as we do, I think something naturally happens in us that we start to become like Jesus. You know, as I mentioned, a rabbi would learn, a disciple, sorry, would learn their rabbi's teachings, their interpretation, their, their application of the Torah, their yoke. But they'd also become like them. They'd live like them. They'd talk like them. Just like our, our kids pick up our way of talking, right? You ever had that moment as a parent where your kid says something back to you? Like, where did you hear that? Like, you say that. Like, ah, oh, don't, li- don't listen to me anymore, right? Don't say that. We become like, like who we follow. And the reality is, is that we're all following someone or something. We're all being formed into the image of whatever we follow. And and so the question must be, who or what are you being formed into? Are you becoming kinder, gentler, and and more loving? Not not perfect, but what is the trajectory of your character? 
Are you more satisfied, more, more happy, more with who you are becoming this year than who you were last year? Again, we're not perfect, but are we heading in the right direction? You're like, actually, I'm a more stressed out, more mean, nastier sort of person than I was a year ago. What is the trajectory of who we are becoming? And simply, if you do not like who you are becoming, maybe change who you're following. N.T. Wright says that there are two journeys of liberation in Exodus. The first is to get Israel out of slavery, and the second is to get slavery out of Israel. It's a large part of the journey of following Jesus. This life of faith is getting the slavery out of us. The, the, the ways in which we see the world, we see others, we see ourselves that are broken and that are hurtful. And in Exodus, those are the boring parts. Right, the exciting parts of the books of, of, of Exodus, it's, just, it's the action montage. It's the, the plagues and the parting of the seas and the pillar of fire. And we're like, yeah, this is amazing. Make a movie about this with an incredible soundtrack. And they did. And it's the best movie ever made called The Prince of Egypt, right? We've done that. We have reached a crowning pinnacle of human accomplishment. There are the ninth wonder of the world, the movie The Prince of Egypt. We should sometime play that in church, right? That'd be a good time. It is scary for children, though, as a word of warning. It's good. Anyway, doesn't matter. But after the interesting bits, after the engaging bits, God gives a bunch of detailed instructions as to how the Israelites should live in direct contrast to the world around them. And it's the boring bit. It's the, hey, do this and not this. Cut things this way. Eat things this way. Don't wear this. Do wear this. Divide your time in this sort of way. But it's how God got the slavery out of them. Because I would suggest that who you are becoming has much more to do with the boring, small, day-to-day choices than it does the big moments. We need the big moments. We need the Exodus delivery sort of moments. I pray as we come in to shout this week that for all of us, there would be some sort of an encounter moment with God where a big thing is transformed. But for that big thing to be sustained, there needs to be this boring small bits afterwards. That actually, this is how I'm going to continue to live out my freedom. This is how I'm going to continue to live out my faith as a continual decision. And I want to be clear, this isn't about earning love or acceptance. This isn't about doing the right thing. God has forgiven you past, present, and future. He has set us free. But Jesus did not come to set us free so that we could stay in a prison cell with the door open, sitting there being like, what, did something change? technically free, but behaving as if we're still imprisoned. See, if if the the delivery is opening the door, the boring small bits are learning how to emerge from our captivity back into life, how we live, what we do with our freedom matters because it shapes who we're becoming. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means trusting Jesus, living a life in which we follow Him. And and really what I want to spend the, the rest of our time today is to circle back to that beginning question. What does following Jesus have to do with community? What if we follow Jesus for ourselves, but not on our own? If we now know, okay, this, I have an understanding of what it is to follow Jesus, why is that not something I can do on my own? What does community have to do with following Jesus? I would say that it's the third part of this, to do what Jesus did. If we're gonna talk about what Jesus did, we, we probably need to establish what exactly did Jesus do? Right, like probably most of us, uh, I don't know, like he came and, and I think he lived pretty good. He, he walked on water and like caught some fish a, a bunch, I think. And maybe at some stage he was a carpenter. Uh, and then he died and that was sad. But then he wasn't dead anymore and that was happy. And, uh, and now here we are. Is that what Jesus did? 
which yes, that, that is what, what Jesus did. But, but maybe rather than just me giving you a truncated and, and imprecise version of what Jesus did, I should let Jesus speak for himself. He talks about what he did in, in Luke chapter 4. He says that what he has come to do is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus' ministry in summary was a, a stunning revelation of love. It was powerful love. It was love by the power of the Spirit. There's no denying that there's a supernatural element to the way that, that Jesus expresses the Father's love to humanity. He, he heals the terminally ill. He delivers the, the demon-possessed. But, but Jesus' supernatural ministry was not just some haphazard magic tricks. Right? He wasn't an ancient Near East sort of version of, of Houdini. His miracles were signs of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. They were symptoms of sin, of evil being made right. They were good news for the poor. They were freedom for the oppressed. They were sight for the blind. They were healing for the sick. They were salvation for the lost. Right? Jesus' ministry was powerful love. But Jesus' ministry was also suffering love meaning love by the suffering of Christ, his, his passion. Now, we use passion quite differently than, than it was originally used. We say things like, oh, I'm, I'm really passionate about gardening or, or photography, or I'm passionate about this genre of music. We use passion really to describe things that we, we like, things that we enjoy. But that's not where the word passion comes from. Passion comes from the Latin passio, which means willing to suffer for. To describe something you are passionate about is to describe something that, that you are willing to suffer for. And, and I want to say, lasting legacy is always tied to passion. Everyone who ever shaped history did so through willing suffering. They had something outside of themselves worth suffering for. So what are you passionate about? What will you willingly suffer for? Honestly, for many of us, maybe to some degree, you will willingly suffer for career accolades. Maybe you'll willingly suffer or at least endure spurts of willing suffering to, to make your body look the way that you want it to look, right? Anyone that tells me that they enjoy running is lying. Or, or maybe you'll suffer to prove yourself to him or to her or, or, or to them. See, I want to say, I think we live at a time and in a culture that suffers for things with an expiration date. Because if we're honest, no one reads your resume at your funeral, right? No one's summer body is looking tight in a rest home. Gravity wins. Just saying. Right, and really, some of you need to erase that picture from your minds, right? Play for a healing of minds. Back on the Bible. Because really, no one's paying attention to what you are proving because we are all too wrapped up with what we are trying to prove, because we're all just insecure. Right, we, we suffer for things which have an expiration date. What did Jesus do? He established the kingdom of heaven now and then through powerful and suffering love. And in doing what Jesus did, we have the opportunity to seek to do the same. And in a culture that is obsessed with, with comfort and averse to suffering, we can live differently, we can live passionately.
We get to partner with God in making right what is wrong. I love this quote. If we put it up from uh, Teresa of Avalia, she puts it this way, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. See, being a disciple of Jesus means being the body of Jesus here and now. It means doing what Jesus did, partnering with God by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of heaven, to bring goodness and peace and hope and joy here and now. You see, the aim of our spiritual formation of our discipleship is not personal peace. It's, it's, it's not a life of balance or an unworried mind or an uncluttered inner world, not as an end in itself at least. The aim of following Jesus is to become a gift of love to others. In, in the language of, of Paul, to be poured out for others. This is what it has to do with community. See, in, in our hyper-individualistic world, it's so easy for us to think that our relationship with Jesus is, is simply and solely a personal thing. Right, me and my Jesus. Not your Jesus, my Jesus. I'm going to spend some coffee, me, and Jesus time. And I'm not judging that, right? That's how I start my day every day, coffee, me, and Jesus. Some of those things sometimes feel more essential than, than others, and I repent of uh, chemical addictions in my body and ask to be remade as I drink my coffee. <laughs> I want to say there's an importance to spending time with Jesus on our own, but following Jesus is more than a hyper-individualistic personal belief. I want to say that again, following Jesus is more than a hyper-individualistic personal belief. It is lived out both supported and embodied in community. See, in following Jesus, we join his mission, and his mission is all about people, right? If we went back to Luke 4, what is he talking about? Each thing, it's bringing sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. All of these things are people who need the encounter of the living God. It is powerful love, and it is suffering love to the ordinary people who make up our ordinary lives. Let me say that one more time as we put it on. It is powerful love and suffering love to the ordinary people who make up our ordinary lives. See, community is both the opportunity and the aid to following Jesus. We follow Jesus for ourselves, but we do not follow Jesus on our own. I wanna be very clear as the band comes up, I'm, I'm done. This series is not just for those of us who need help following Jesus, who need the support of our community, although I would suggest that that is all of us. This series is for all of us. Because I would suggest that you can't really follow Jesus outside of community. A part of following Jesus is loving your community. Could put it this way. You need a community to love as much as you need a community to be loved by. I want to say that one more time for you. You need a community to love as much as you need a community to be loved by. Some of us are like, well, do I? I mean, I'm good with God. You know, I can read my Bible, I pray, I feel Jesus close. Like, I don't know if I need to be in a community. I, I think I'm all right. Well, you might not need to be loved on so much, but you need to love. You need an opportunity to pour yourself out for others, even if you are all good in and of yourself. We could put it this way, following Jesus is a group thing. 
And something that I've, I've been personally challenged by and reflecting on a lot lately is that I find that I try to change my circumstances to avoid changing my character. We, we tend to be forever future oriented, don't we? Forever planning a preferred future where then we can flourish. Like when I graduate or when I get through this particularly busy season or when I get married or when I get through this stage of parenting or when I cut back to a four-day work week or when I get back to work. And for me at the moment, discipleship to Jesus looks a lot like passing through the temptation to tinker with the circumstances of my life to look at the character that exists underneath those circumstances, to ask, can I love? Can I selflessly love my family members, my, my coworkers, my church community? Can I love the neighbors on my street? Can I love the other parents at school pick up and drop off? Can I love them just like Jesus loves them? In the midst of the imperfect, always less than ideal set of circumstances, will we be intentionally others focused. See, a key way of growing as a disciple is to help others in their discipleship to be missional in our faith. We're called to make disciples. I hope you've kind of seen the echo of our commission series underneath all of this today. Because how we live in a community is how we live out the call that God has for us. We're called to make disciples, and that starts with being a disciple, being with Jesus, seeking Him above all else, becoming more and more like who we follow, and doing what He did, loving others in a way that costs us but isn't only of us, relying on God to do all that we can. I'm done, but to, to finish, I'd love to read a quote from Tyler Staden that I think encapsulates this beautifully. Maybe if you would close your eyes. If you would let these words land however they need to land for you. Maybe it's the whole thing just resounds. Maybe it's one thing in particular will jump out. I believe this is what God is saying to us today. God's calling you to spend yourself on behalf of others, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, to shelter the houseless. Your call is to learn the names of your neighbors and care about how they're doing. It's to pray so hard that your tears say what your, your words can't. Your call is to listen, to listen presently and attentively to the burdens of your friends, to listen especially to those you disagree with, letting story turn caricature into humanity. It's to preach the gospel in ways in which people understand, mostly through our lives, not just our words. It's to love the person hardest for you to love and forgive the person who won't admit that they've wronged you in the first place. It's to endure personal embarrassment so someone else doesn't have to and to get beyond your comfort zone to enter his or hers. Your call is to read Scripture constantly enough, slowly enough, that God's reality is the one that lives in you. It's to share a prophetic word because it might be way off or it just might be God. It's to pray for healing even when it didn't work last time and to use your voice to advocate for the silence. Your call is to hug the woman who's a hugger and fist bump the guy who barely even wants you to do that. It's to unload the dishwasher when you did not dirty a single one of those dishes and to wipe the toilet seat when someone else's kid made the mess. It's to visit your sick friend in the hospital and call your mom to see how she's doing. It's to get to know an incarcerated individual by name, to keep on gathering in your community, even when they're underwhelming and awkward and difficult and their social media posts make you wanna set your hair on fire. Your call is to live today like God is a father 
and everyone around you as a sister or a brother and to believe, really believe that that is enough to renew the whole of creation because he has filled you with his spirit and called you to be his witness. Church, here is your call. It's powerful love and it's suffering love to the ordinary people who make up your ordinary lives. His heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. God, we thank you today that you call us. That your call is not small. It's not easy. But it's significant. It matters. And that in your call we find life. God, thank you that you call each and every one of us to follow you. Not because of what we've done. Not because of earning our way into it but because of who you are. And thank you that even in that, we find the strength to follow you in you. Help us to be your disciples, to be a people who do not just believe, but trust. Help us to be with you. Help us to become like you. Help us to do what you did in powerful and in suffering love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, in a moment, we're going to finish the service. But just before we do, maybe one more time as you bow your heads. We always want to create an opportunity when we gather together, wherever we can, to, to let you know that you are welcome, to let you know that you are loved, to let you know that God wants to meet you in the middle of it all. And so if you're here today and and maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus, I want to start by being very clear. He calls you. He's not waiting for you to get it right. He's not waiting for you to, to line things up, to get clean enough. If he called Levi, he calls you. We are not called because of who we are. We are called because of who he is. He invites us in. The disciples thought that that was simply to become a an honored position in society, but it was much more. As they found out and as we know, Jesus calls us to follow him, not simply into an easy life, but to an eternal life, into life and life abundantly. And so if you're here today and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, or maybe you have, but somewhere along the way you would recognize I've started following something else. I do not like who I'm becoming and so I need to change who I'm following. If here today you would like to pray a prayer with me to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to do what is our equivalent of standing up, dropping your nets, and following Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand simply to let me know, but also so you have a moment like that dropping of the nets, a moment you can look back on and go, no, that was a day that I made a decision, and I live out that decision. It's not a one and done. It's something that I get to do, get to live in, following as a continual choice. There is a before and after. So if you're here today and you want to choose to follow Jesus for the first time or as a recommitment, his heads are bowed, his eyes are closed, even with us online, I'd love you to raise your hand and let me know in three, two, one. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand up nice and high. Say, Jono, today I'm, I'm choosing. I see the hand. See the hand. Choosing to follow Jesus. His heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. 
No one can make this decision for you. We follow Jesus for ourselves. Only you can choose who you trust. But as a community, we want to support you in it, which is why we get you to raise your hand because we do not believe that this is something you have to do on your own. We get to do it with you. One more time, if that's you, just raise your hand up nice and high and let me know. Awesome. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Thank you that you love me, that you came to me, that you asked me to follow you. Today, I choose to follow you. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Church, why don't you stand to your feet? moment we're gonna we're gonna close the service but before we do I just feel like for some of us this needs to be more than just simply like oh yeah who am I following I guess I'm following Jesus and I do that in community that's cool sort of sermon but something that maybe we can actually live out a little bit something that we can step into and so the band in a moment is gonna lead us in that first worship song I speak Jesus And if there are areas in your life in which you go, actually, I need Jesus in that area. I need Jesus in my workplace. I need Jesus in my inner world. I've got addictions. I've got doubts. I've got depression. I've got something going on in me, which is not as it should be. And I know Jesus's mission is to come and make right what is wrong. And so I need Jesus. You follow Jesus for yourself, but you do not follow Jesus on your own. And so simply what we're gonna do is the altar is gonna be open. And if there is an area in your life in which you would like Jesus to touch, to move, to do what only Jesus can do, I wanna tell you, hey, don't wait for someone else to come down the front. If today the altar call is only for you, you are enough. Come and say, hey, Jesus, I need you to encounter me in a new way. I need you to minister to me in a new way. I need you to to, to be in my world. I need to leave different than when I came in. Jesus, if I'm following you, then I need evidence of you in my life. I need you affecting my life. I need you impacting my life. And so as the band sings and you sing, I speak Jesus, and there are areas of your life that you think, hey, this is what I'm speaking to. If you hold that front of mind, we want to stand with you. Maybe even the blessing today is you're taking the, the act of faith, the obedience. Step down and say, hey, I want to do this in community and to let someone else pray for you, that you would bless them in giving us that opportunity. Whatever it might look like, let's follow Jesus into what he has for us. Let's follow him together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.